Welcome back to Rockford Reading Daily. We are continuing to read The End of Policing by Alex Vitale. We are on Chapter 6, which is entitled The Failures of Policing Sex Work. <clears throat> what does it mean to criminalize sex work? When we allow police to regulate our sexual lives, we inflict tremendous harm on some of the most vulnerable people in our society. Young people, poor women, and transgender persons who rely on the sex industry to survive and even thrive are forced by police into the shadows, leaving them vulnerable to abuse, exploitation, and diminished health outcomes. Residents and business owners often couch their concerns about sex work in terms of offenses to the moral order. They are concerned about exposing children to overt sex acts and the detritus of condoms and drug paraphernalia that often accompany the sex trade. Secondary problems include the harassment of women mistaken for sex workers, the propositioning of uninterested men by sex workers, and the disorder and even violence that can sometimes result from interactions between clients, prostitutes, and pimps. All have the potential to undermine quality of life and reduce property values, which means that complaints from property owners tend to drive policing. At a broader level, City officials express concerns about the spread of sexually transmitted disease and the nexus of drugs and organized crime in the sex industry, as well as the presence of juveniles and the abuses they and adult participants may experience from pimps and clients. Recently, a raft of non-governmental organizations, NGOs, have worked hard to raise awareness about the role of coercion and international trafficking in the supply of sex workers, especially juveniles. Many of these groups, as well as some religious, political, and community leaders, object to prostitution in primarily moral terms. Others contend that no one would choose prostitution of their own accord and equate sex work with coercion. These groups tend to take an abolitionist approach, arguing that all sex work should be banned, with punitive state enforcement action at the center of any such efforts. Many liberal feminists have embraced a prohibitionist stance out of concern for the well-being of women whom they believe end up in sex work because of childhood sexual abuse, while other feminists point to the ways this stance reproduces patriarchal attitudes and power relations. There is also a strong tendency among police to view prostitution in highly moral terms. This can lead to minimizing the humanity of sex workers because of their seemingly intractable involvement in behaviors police find personally offensive or minimizing their agency in a kind of rescue mentality in which police identify sex workers as victims in need of saving. When neither of these approaches, when neither of these approaches improves the situation, a kind of anomic disinterest often emerges in which prostitution is just another on-the-job problem to be managed with the least possible investment of emotional energy or regard for the outcome. Arrests are made, loiterers dispersed, and radio jobs handled. Does any of this make communities safer or improve the lives of sex workers? Overwhelmingly, the answer is no. Criminalizing sex work is notoriously ineffective and hurts sex workers and society at large. The prohibitionist approach assumes that strict enforcement of the law, whether it is directed at the provider or the client, will deter prostitution. The evidence however, shows that even the most intensive policing efforts fail to produce this effect. Up until the 1910s, 
overt red light districts were quite common in American cities. While police often extorted bribes and at times sexually exploited sex workers, prostitution was effectively decriminalized within these zones and sometimes more broadly. Two factors combined to largely end that practice. The first was military authorities' desire to restrict prostitution during World War I, since in past wars, sexually transmitted disease had played a major role in undermining troop readiness. The second was the progressive era emphasis on restoring morality to the cities, which had been, quote, polluted, end quote, by the massive influx of Eastern and Southern European immigrants. This took the form of a, quote, white slave, end quote, narrative, in which prostitutes were described as unwitting victims of coercive and manipulative foreign men. Their goal was to, quote, save, end quote, these women through prohibitionist policies similar to those against the, quote, scourge, end quote, of alcohol. Early enforcement actions included raiding brothels and intensive enforcement against streetwalking. Despite the helplessness implied by the, quote, white slave, end quote, narrative, prostitutes were generally treated as criminal offenders and subjected to jail terms, constant police harassment, or worse. The police and government officials were successful in suppressing red light districts, where prostitution activity went on unabated in more covert forms in bars, escorts, escort services, massage parlors, and saunas, underground brothels, alcohol services, VIP rooms and strip clubs, and many forms of street walking with varying levels of visibility and risk. Today, police employ a variety of tactics to manage sex work. Vice teams focus on both visible and covert prostitution. Those arrested for vice crimes are often pressured. I'm doing something, I'm recording, relax. Those arrested for vice crimes are often pressured to provide information about brothels and other hidden sex work locations. Undercover, undercover officers investigate these locations as prospective clients. What you on, man? Come on, I'm trying to do something. My, my, no, I, hold on real quick. I'm going to have to pause this. All right, sorry about that. It's one of the hazards of being outside. We had somebody, had somebody come by the, the occupation. Okay, let's pick up where we left off at. <clears throat> the police and government officials were successful in suppressing red light districts, but prostitution activity went, in, went on unabated in more covert forms in bars, escort services, massage parlors and saunas, underground brothels, alcohol services, VIP rooms and strip clubs, and many forms of street walking with varying levels of visibility and risk. Today, police employ a variety of tactics to manage sex work. Vice teams focus on both visible and covert prostitution. Those arrested for vice crimes are often pressured to provide information about brothels and other hidden sex work locations. Undercover officers investigate these locations as prospective clients, in some cases engaging in sexual acts in the process. This is followed by raids in which sex workers, managers, and, in some cases, clients are arrested and prosecuted. Vice officials also conduct street operations in which they pretend to be customers. Once a price and sex act are agreed upon, arrests are made in cars or hotel, or hotel rooms or on street corners. In some cases, those loitering in, quote, known prostitution zones, end quote, 
are merely rounded up. The presence of condoms, quote, sexually suggestive clothing, end quote, transgender appearance, or a past arrest record are deemed sufficient evidence for arrest and prosecution. In strip clubs, police enforce a variety of vague laws against obscenity that rely on sometimes arbitrary interpretations of, quote, community standards, end quote. Measuring the distance between patrons and dancers or inspecting the size and position of articles of clothing. In New York State, for example, women can dance topless but must be at least 18 inches off the ground and five feet away from the clients and cannot receive tips unless covered. Undercover officers conduct regular inspections. Back rooms and VIP lounges present a special challenge as officers must often pretend to be clients offering money for special services to uncover violations. Patrol officers are sometimes assigned to manage ongoing street-level prostitution activity in their assigned areas. They tend to rely on loitering and disorderly conduct laws to arrest or disperse suspected sex workers. Officers responding to a specific complaint will often be satisfied by sex workers' promise to leave the area for the rest of their shift. Some make drug arrests, ticket cars for double parking, or intimidate clients with threats of public exposure. More extreme forms of enforcement often undertake in conjunction, often undertaken in conjunction with city attorneys and local DAs, involve publicly outing clients or using civil forfeiture and commercial nuisance laws to shutter businesses and sue landlords for allowing sex work to occur on their premises. In some cases, DAs target repeat offenders with enhanced sentences, including felony charges. Seattle's, quote, banishment, end quote, laws require that those arrested on prostitution charges or in some cases just suspected of prostitution, remain out of specific areas for extended periods of time or face enhanced criminal penalties. NGOs have also pressured local officials to target advertising venues, such as the pages of free weekly newspapers and online listings such as Craigslist, in an effort to control less visible forms of sex work. In 2015, the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York raided the offices of Rentaboy.com, a website where mostly male sex workers advertised their services. All the employees were arrested and the business shuttered, despite the absence of a single complaint from anyone using the site. The result was to drive these sex workers into more financially and physically precarious positions. The Rent Boy case is especially important because of the vulnerabilities faced by lesbian, gay, transgendered, and other gender non-conforming or unconventional sex workers. These sex workers are often at risk from clients, police, and predators, and are more likely to operate at the margins of the sex trade. Transgender sex workers are routinely harassed by the police and face violent hate crimes. Too often... Police assume that anyone openly transgender or gender nonconforming must be engaged in sex work. In New York City, police routinely target transgender people for harassment and arrest based strictly on their appearance. They are also much more likely to be the victims of violence. While sex workers in general are targeted for crime, these workers also suffer abuse from homophobes and others who object to their gender identity. Despite decades of police enforcement, commercial sexual services remain easily available, from the $5,000 a night escorts hired by Wall Street executives and elected officials to those who turn $20 tricks in inner-city alleyways. 
even when individual sex workers move out of the profession as a result of police action, others replace them, and there is never a shortage of clients. At best, police can claim that their efforts limit the extent and visibility of the sex industry. It is true that concerted, intensive police enforcement can sometimes drive streetwalkers from a specific location, but they move to more remote outdoor locations or indoor ones. This may provide some benefits for residents, but does nothing to reduce the overall prevalence of commercial sex or improve the lives of sex workers themselves. Commercial sex has proven largely impervious to punitive policing. And then that brings us to the end of the first portion of this chapter and into a changing of the themes within this chapter. And some of the things that this was this chapter specifically, I guess this it's a few chapters in this book what, that presented an aspect or presented information about an aspect of policing that I had never taken any time to think about or I had never taken any time to ponder upon or think about how I felt uh, about it. I think that that's one of the things that the call for defunding the police, the call for abolishing the police what that does to people when the person who is calling for that action is well informed is it challenges social norms that people have just accepted and not really asked questions about these different aspects of policing that are presented in this book are depending on what life you're from or what type of life you led or things of that nature, you may have had interactions with one or two forms of policing within here, but it's doubtful that you had that type of interaction with all the forms of policing that are in here. And then you might have uh, questioned one or two forms of policing, but it's doubtful that you've questioned all of these different forms of policing, uh, especially to the extent that they do here. I think one of the things that's important about this book as well is it it tells it gives this information from the standpoint of the people who are who have been victimized and who have had injustices done to them by the criminal justice system by the police department and it 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 puts a very strong emphasis on their stories and on their experiences and specifically for in, in the this chapter about the failures of policing sex work it takes the time to give you information from the standpoint of the people involved in sex work uh, not from the standpoint of the person who's offended by it or the police officer that's trying to arrest somebody for doing it and it does it in a in a in what i believe is a very straight to the point effort a straight to the point uh, method Okay, let's start the next segment. Collateral consequences. It's not just that criminalization is ineffective. It also hurts sex workers, the public, and the criminal justice system, contributing to the victimization of sex workers, the spread of disease, and the corruption of the police and justice system. Policing has aimed not to eradicate prostitution, but to drive it underground. This process leaves these workers without a means to complain when they are raped, beaten, or otherwise victimized, 
strengthens the hands of pimps and traffickers and contributes to unsafe sex practices. When sex workers are forced to labor in a hidden, illegal economy, they have little recourse to the law to protect their rights and safety. Even when they are technically able to ask for police protection from violence, it is rarely forthcoming. Because of their social position and a history of disregard and abuse at the hands of police, these workers rarely see police intervention as being in their best interest. Sex workers have an interest in maintaining the anonymity of their clients. Criminal prosecution and public embarrassment are bad for business. There are rarely credit card receipts, photocopies of IDs, or surveillance footage that might be used to identify and prosecute offenders. Even when there is some evidence, victims are generally loath to open themselves up to additional police scrutiny for fear they or their establishment might be raided. In addition, sex workers have no ability to access basic workplace protections. They cannot complain about fire hazards or file complaints about stolen wages. They can't sue for theft of services or contractual breaches. The only tool they have is to withhold their labor but even this may be constrained by coercive labor practices ranging from psychological manipulation to enslavement. Criminalization also strengthens the hand of pimps, organized criminals, and traffickers. Because there are limited legal ways of entering most sex work and because of the criminal status of most of this work, which can produce huge financial rewards, Third parties play an important role in recruiting and coercing participants. Also, there is a value in being able to provide protection, secure hidden work sites, and organize cooperation from the police. These services are best provided by those already involved in illegal activity. All of this makes it difficult for workers to self-organize to participate independently in the sex economy. Property rentals, security services, and advertising must all be handled covertly, often through fictitious companies or other fronts. Even streetwalkers must contend with informally organized strolls in which more regular and organized participants either drive off newcomers or force them into their own, own organizations. In some cases, Pimps force sex workers into their, quote, protection, end quote, as a way of guaranteeing their ability to ply their trade. Other pimps work in true partnership with sex workers, providing support and protection for a share of the earnings. Exploitative pimps are motivated to coerce participation in sex work by money and because they know that workers have little recourse. Police often view these sex workers as offenders rather than victims and fail to take their requests for help seriously. Also, those who are pressured, coerced, or even voluntarily enter this work often come from very disadvantaged circumstances and may have mental health and substance abuse problems or have been the victims of childhood sexual abuse. All of this contributes to sexual isolation and vulnerability that makes them easier to control. Simplistic, quote, rescue, end quote, efforts fail to deal with the depth of isolation and hardship facing these people. Sex workers who are offered counseling and drug treatment, but not jobs and housing. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sex workers who are offered counseling and drug treatment, but not jobs and housing, will often return to sex work, even in an abusive form, 
because they are not given a sustainable way out. Exploiters capitalize on this dynamic to keep them isolated and dependent. International sex traffickers can also be empowered by poorly thought out prohibitionist police actions, which often involve deporting or incarcerating foreign women involved in sex work, a practice often driven by U.S. policies. In Thailand, for example, the U.S. has pressured police to reduce sex trafficking, which is generally equated with the involvement Excuse me, sorry about that. It's been a little rough this episode. Uh, in Thailand, for example, the U.S. has pressured police to reduce sex trafficking, which is generally equated with the involvement of foreigners in sex work, regardless of whether they are voluntary or coerced. Women from Laos, Cambodia, China, and Myanmar are routinely swept up in police raids and forcibly repatriated. In addition, border crossings have been forfeited to make entry more difficult. This means that voluntary migrants are more likely to turn to organized criminal networks for transportation, leaving them vulnerable to exploitation and coercion. It also gives these organized criminal groups more exclusive control of the flow of workers, which creates a powerful incentive to maintain a strong supply through coercive means if necessary. This is especially true if the workforce is constantly being depleted through police action. A similar dynamic is at work in parts of Europe and the United States. Voluntary migrant sex workers turn to smugglers and traffickers to gain access to these markets, leaving them vulnerable to high financial costs, fraud, abuse, indentured servitude, and, in some cases, even enslavement. This is also true of other service industries. Mexican and Central American, quote, coyotes, end quote, frequently prey on female migrants, demanding sex and money as a condition of transport, sometimes forcing women into sex work to pay off debts or directly forcing them into prostitution. Eastern European organized crime groups, groups offer women access to American, European, and Asian sex work at very high costs that become a form of indentured servitude as women must pay off the debts through sex work. In some cases, women are told they are being smuggled to perform domestic work, only to end up being forced into sex work. The legality of both sex work and drugs creates profit incentives for organized crime to link the two. Sex workers are sometimes given drugs or pressured to become drug dependent as a way of managing them. Others become enticed or coerced into sex work to maintain their drug habits. Clients are also often offended. Excuse me. Clients are also offered. Excuse me. Sorry about this. Rough episode. Clients are also often offered drugs as part of their sexual experience. Offering these two services in tandem is wildly profitable for organized crime since the avenues of distribution and the provision of security from police and competitors often overlap. Marginalization also contributes to unsafe sex practices. One of the most troubling is that police often regard possession of condoms as evidence of prostitution. Since streetwalkers often work in cars, parks, or other informal locations, the only way to ensure safe sex practices is to carry condoms. They must then weigh the long-term risk of disease against the short-term risk of arrest and prosecution. 
Clients will sometimes pay more for sex without condoms. And pimps can drive women to earn more in this way or risk abuse. Finally, while a few cities, such as San Francisco, have public health clinics for sex workers, many workers have difficulty accessing appropriate care because they lack health insurance and fear being stigmatized or criminalized. Finally, the police themselves have been implicated in demanding unprotected sex as a condition of avoiding arrest. Uh, and then that brings us to a changing of the theme within this chapter here. And I think what we'll do is actually end this episode right here. Bring this set close to the 30-minute mark. And those la- the last passages we just read, I think, do a very good job of illustrating the dangers that exist for people within the sex, works tr- the sex work trade due to the criminalization that exists uh, with sex work. And sexually transmitted disease were highlighted, the different ways of uh, contracting those sexually transmitted diseases were highlighted, Uh, the dangers of physical abuse were highlighted, the dangers of falling into, uh, of course, of sex trafficking, of course, of sex work were highlighted, the dangers of sex trafficking were highlighted, and I think what is another good component of this book, The End of Policing by Alex Vitale, is that he he speaks to he speaks to some of the worries that we have as a society and as uh, as people when it comes to some of the uh, the ills of some of these different things that are being uh, policed. Uh, he speaks about you know some of the dangers or some and some of some of the dangers that we naturally have a society society when it comes to uh, people with untreated mental health issues. Some of the dangers that we have as a society when it comes to uh, school shootings and the the things that take place in schools these days. Uh, Some of the dangers that could exist for us as a society uh, for if uh, somebody is going through a mental health crisis and is unhoused. And so he doesn't uh, negate the fact that that there are dangers that are and concerns that are being raised that are valid. Uh, But what he does is he points out how those concerns that are being raised are pale in comparison to the dangers that exist from the criminalization of these things. And and, and again, later on in this chapter, we'll get to uh, more alternatives for sex work. Uh, But I think that what is an important thing for us to be learning how to do is to be able to articulate all these different facets that exist in the conversation about the abolishment of police. And so I don't think that we should just negate people's concerns, safety concerns, or negate people's questions that they have about uh, ethics or morality when it comes to uh, some of these things that we're bringing up. But I think what we have to point out is that in each of these things, it is not morality and ethics that is at the forefront of how these decisions are being made. Uh, Because before your morality comes into play or your ethics come into play when it comes to how you feel about sex work, what should come into play is how you feel about human beings, uh, how you feel about uh, 
people and the conditions that people live in. And the truth of the matter is, if, if you are uh, against sex work or you uh, have a moral issue with sex work, then your biggest problem should be with the conditions that create that are that are, exist in our society that l- facilitate people being involved in sex work. Uh, and, and we've already pointed out some of those things in, in prior chapters. Uh, and so I think Alex Vitali does a good job in the segments that we just read of addressing concerns that people may have or questions people may have about the concept of decriminalizing sex work because it is such a taboo subject. And he does it in a way where he puts uh, humanity at the forefront and he speaks about the collateral damage that comes from decriminalization of sex work. And so I want to encourage people to please share this episode of Rafa Reading Daily on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Remember, we put these episodes out on a daily basis to present people the opportunity to begin or further their journey in the struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. And I will talk to you tomorrow.